We're looking tonight at Solomon. Uh, look at First <clears throat> Kings, and we're looking at First Kings chapter three to start off. We're going to look at several passages of scripture tonight. So, um, <clears throat> plan on getting your fingers in your Bible and finding your way around it. Right now, Solomon, <clears throat> King Solomon, is the richest, wisest man in scripture. Right, he is rich beyond your wildest dreams. The Bible lists for us. Um, uh, his riches. And every year into the coffers of King Solomon came 800,000 ounces of gold. 800, that's over a billion U.S. dollars in today's money. Just in gold. That's not talking about all that he had. Uh, he, he, had bless, he had peace on every side. Uh, he had wisdom that was renowned the world over. And it's a tragedy. He blows it all. He blows it all. He misses it all. Uh, he ends up in the place where <clears throat> uh, at the end of his life, he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, and at the end of his life, uh, as he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, he's telling us it's all vanity, it's all emptiness, it's all nothing. Uh, it doesn't count. Uh, he does give us some good advice in the book of Ecclesiastes, but the problem with the advice he gives us in the book of Ecclesiastes is it's obviously advice that he didn't take. He wrote the Proverbs. But he didn't do what it was. Now, to me, it's, first of all, tragic. Right? Secondly, it's terrifying. Because if the wisest man in the world can fall on his face and blow it all by the end of his life, I could too. I could, I could, I could blow it all. I could mess. So could you. you. You could mess it all up royally. You know, it's not where you start from that counts. It really isn't where you start from. You can start in a really bad place and make great progress in the kingdom of God. But people will not remember where you started from. Uh, you walk with God for long enough, and they're going to look at your life, and they're going to see a life that walked with God. But they will remember where you ended up. They will remember that. And your impact is going to be greatly affected by how you finish. You see, the Christian life uh, is not a 100-yard dash, right? <clears throat> It's a long-distance race, and it doesn't finish until you arrive in the arms of Jesus. And it's easy anywhere along the way to lose it, to fall over and mess up, and that's what Solomon did. Now, Solomon has this that helps us, though. In the three, on three different occasions, God, God speaks directly to Solomon, and it's recorded for us. And in the three different occasions that God speaks to Solomon, we, we get to learn how God deals with his people. And that's really what we're after. We're not just after a biography of the life of, of Solomon tonight. We're, we're after how does God deal with this man, this man uh, who God blessed beyond measure. How does he deal with this man? Uh, what's God's heart towards this man? Because we want to know, know what's God's heart in the situation, how God is going to deal with you and with us. So we're going to go through these three passages uh, <clears throat> where God is speaking to him, and then we're going to pull some conclusions together, and hopefully we're going to be warned and we're going to be helped. All right? You know what? Just because Solomon failed doesn't mean you have to fail. Right? <clears throat> you know, can we do that sometimes? We look and we say, well, if the great guy falls, then who am I? How can I make it? No, you can make it. You can make it. You can come to the end of your walk, and you can come to the end of your walk and hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and you can rejoice in a life well lived. It won't happen by accident, though. 
Right? It won't happen. Back, it won't happen except you live it on purpose, and except you plan that you're going to live it on purpose for Him. All right. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, would you bless us as we look to Your Word tonight? Help us, Lord. Open our hearts and open uh, Your Word to us, Lord. And may Your Spirit uh, lead each one, Lord, into greater understanding and a deeper understanding of Your will and Your way, that we might walk with You and know You uh, in these dark days, and Lord, that we might be. Uh, a voice for you in days that so desperately need a voice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Solomon, uh, the great king, Solomon the wise, uh, failed. Um, But but let's look at Solomon and see as God speaks to him. So the first time God speaks to him, you're going to find it in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter three, and we start reading from verse four, right? And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar, right? So Solomon, this is before his first visit from God. He's been made king. Dad has appointed him king. God has blessed it. It was God's plan, not just dad's plan. And Solomon has been made king. And so we find out here that Solomon is a man uh, who's about the business of God and who is seeking the Lord. David, his father, has warned him. Now, David, David told him, he said, now, listen, Solomon, God will bless you as he promised me because you're my seed. Only follow him. Don't go off off the road. Don't go your own way. Follow him, right? Obey his word, right? And so Solomon is doing that uh, in the early part of his his kingship. Uh, He's going to Gibeon to sacrifice there, and he sacrifices a a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give thee. Isn't that great? Isn't that what the genie in the bottle does for you, right? The genie in the bottle comes out of the bottle and gives you three wishes. You can ask what you want, and the genie will give you your three wishes. The genie will give you what you want. Well, this is not a genie. This is the God of heaven. And he's saying, ask what I shall give you. Now, does God do that to us? Does God ever come to us and say, ask what I shall give you? Yeah, he does. God does. He did it for a blind man. Uh, he did it for a blind man. I said, what wilt thou that I shall do for you? And the blind man said, give me my sight. And he did. God does it. Now, God comes to Solomon, and he says to Solomon, ask what I shall do for you. Now, here's the thing you need to understand, because we want to see this as it works out. There's two things happening here. First of all, God wants to bless Solomon. Because God always wants to bless us. You don't have to, you don't have to wring God's arm and, and plead with God and break God's heart for him to bless you. It's his nature to bless you. It's his desire to bless you. It's his desire to do good things in your life. Right? <clears throat> That's his plan. You don't have to get him on your side in that, in that sense. He's already there. Okay? So he comes to Solomon. He says, Solomon, ask what shall I give you? Because he wants to bless Solomon. But the second thing he's doing is he's testing Solomon. He's asking Solomon, okay, where, what kind of a man are you, Solomon? Right? And you know, the things that you desire of God or the things that you desire in your life are very important in that they indicate the lie of your heart. What's your treasure? What's important to you? What's most important to you? 
What is it that really matters? What is it that if God was to come to you and say to you, ask what I shall give you? What would your answer be? Because it would reveal where your heart was, wouldn't it? It would be very revealing of where your heart was. You ask for money, well, you know what? That's where your heart is. Your heart's in money. And by the way, you know, the Bible's full of warnings about covetousness. Now, why do you think the Bible warns us so much about covetousness? Because it's a problem for us. Money's a problem for us. Money's a big issue for us. Money, you know, money's one of those things we're warned about again and again and again because it's a problem for us. It can take over our hearts. And God says, you know what? If it takes over your heart, you can't love me and let mammon you. What you're going to do is you're going to sacrifice one or the other. So what would you ask God for if he were to come to you and ask you? It would reveal a whole lot about you. You don't have to tell me, but you do have to be aware of it yourself because that's where your heart is really is. Because, you know, what's in your heart is who you are. Kind of scary, isn't it? Now, God's going to ask this man Solomon, this king Solomon, he's going to ask, what would you like me to do for you, Solomon? Whoa, give me a week to think about it, God, right? <clears throat> Let me just think, well, what would I like for you to do, you know? Uh, what would I like for you to give me? What would I like for you uh, <clears throat> to give to me? But look at Solomon's answer. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this so thy so great a people? Now, what does that tell us about Solomon? What does that tell us about the burden of his heart? The burden of his heart is... I want to be a good leader. They're your people. They're a great people. Lord, give me an understanding heart so that I can lead your people and do right by them and do right for you by you. Now, it's kind of incredible because there's nothing selfish about it at all. He's not looking for anything for himself. How much of our interaction with God is purely selfish? It's not wrong for us to come and ask God for things, but how much of our interaction with God is just about me? Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want this, I need that. So often that's what we're looking for. We're looking for God to do something that's going to benefit me. By the way, you can't fool God. Don't we think sometimes we'll we'll pretend we're being spiritual and maybe we'll fool him and he'll give him something we want as well? No, God knows your heart. God didn't need to hear from Solomon. He knew what was in Solomon's heart before he asked Solomon. So when he asks Solomon and Solomon tells him, God knows what's there. And God knows what's in your heart. Now, how do you change your heart? You know, because you might be honest with yourself tonight, and you might say, well, you know what? I have a selfish heart. My heart's about me. Yeah, you know what? I can couch it. I can make it look good. I can call it the family. I can call it the church. I can call it whatever you like. Uh, but you know, the, the reality is, my heart's about me. Well, how are you going to change your heart? 
How are you going to change what you want? Well, you know what? You're going to have to come to the place where you understand some things, where you understand some truth and some reality. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 9. Just keep your finger in First Kings because that's where we're going back to. But Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. And God through Jeremiah tells us here what's important in life. And if you don't know what's important in life, you're never going to have the right kind of heart. If you get messed up on what's important in life, well, say you decide, okay, well, money's important in life. The, the, the amount of money I have, that's the most important thing. Well, you know, you're going to be messed up. Because it's not. We'll say you make human relationships the most important thing in life. You know, you're going to get messed up because they're not the most important thing in life. We'll say you make um, power the most important thing. You're going to be messed up because power is not the most important thing. We'll say you make beauty the most important thing. We'll say you make strength the most important thing. If you make anything other than what he's talking about here the most important thing in life, you're going to be wrong. And your heart's going to follow your thinking, and your heart's going to be wrong. Look at uh, Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Are you wise tonight? Don't glory in it. Now, why would you not glory in it? Because first of all, what have you got that you weren't given? If you've got any real wisdom tonight, it's because you were given it. Don't glory in it. (laughs) It's not yours. Uh, um, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. You strong? You're physically strong so you can make things happen. Don't glory in that. Easy for someone to glory in that, but don't glory in that. That, That's that's not what's important. Um, Let not the rich man glory in his riches. You comfortable tonight? Financially comfortable? You know what? Things are okay. Things are fine, you know? Uh, There's enough money in the bank to cover the expenses, and you know what? You're, You're doing okay. Don't glory in that, God says. Don't glory. You know what? Riches take wings and fly away. They do. They can. The Bible says trust not in uncertain riches. Don't trust in those things. Don't trust in your, uh, in your wisdom. Don't trust in your strength. Don't, don't trust in your glory. Don't trust in any of those things that are of you. Look at verse 24. But let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Now, so what does God delight in you wanting to know him better? By the way, can you delight God? Of course you can. That's what it's saying. In these things, I delight. But you know what's going to delight God about you? Your heart. Where your heart is. What's in your heart? Well, what's going on inside your heart? Now back to First um, Kings, because we're going to see that that's just what happens because of Solomon's uh, request. He asked God to give him uh, an understanding heart so that he can judge God's people. Look at verse 11. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, 
Neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Wisest man in all the world before and after. I don't know what his IQ was. That doesn't matter. Wisdom was what he was about, and God made him wiser than any man that's ever been. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. So God said, God, God was thrilled with this request. God was delighted with this request. He was delighted with an unselfish request from this king, and he was pleased with it. He was pleased with a heart that was not out for self. He was pleased with a heart that wanted to please God and wanted to uh, bless the people that he was leading. And so God said to him, I've given you what you asked for. I've given you an understanding heart. I'll get a good request. I'm going to give it to you, but I've given you what you haven't asked for too. I'm going to make you rich beyond anybody's wildest dreams. God gave him both. Now, here's the thing. Understand this, that most of the things we look for from God are temporal. And it's not that God can't give them to us. It's not that they're so important that he's got to spare them. He could give you anything temporal. God God could make anybody in this room fabulously wealthy. You know, and it wouldn't, wouldn't cost him a thought. It wouldn't make him uh, any less, and he wouldn't have to save up for a while. He could do it just like that. God could take... But the, the, the things that we ask for that are temporal are not a big deal with God. What's a big deal with God is our hearts. What's a big deal with God is what's going on in our hearts and what we're really after and what we're really looking for. And he's always watching that. And God holds back on us because he can't trust us. He can't trust it wouldn't be good for us. And you know what? God's too good a God to do something for you that wouldn't be good for you. He's just too good a God for that. So you, you, you can look for it, but God's not going to give it to you, right? Okay, but here's, here's, here's our thought, though. Here's our thought that we're looking at here, right? Um, can a mortal man please God? Could you please God? Yeah. An unselfish heart would be a key to it. A heart that is not out for me and what I want. A heart that is out for him and serving him is what Solomon had, and it was something that pleased God. And God blessed him. God blessed him enormously. God blessed him with what he asked for, wisdom, And God blessed him with what he hadn't asked for, money. He's the richest man in all the world. He's going to be vastly wealthy. You know, if we look for a high point in terms of Israel's history, uh, in terms of their stature and in terms of their, their, their power and in terms of their wealth and in terms of, you know, their, 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 their prestige in the world, we're going to come to this place here under Solomon. Solomon has just made a request that God has responded to in such a way that he has made him 
a king that nobody ever's gonna, nobody's ever going to equal. Right? You know what? God wants you to have a heart like that. God wants you to have a heart that's first of all for him and second of all for serving others. Not about you. Not for you. Now, <clears throat> that kind of sucks because you know what? We're not naturally like that, are we? And by the way, if you don't recognize how selfish you are, you'll never overcome it. But naturally, we're hugely selfish. Naturally, God comes to you and asks you what you want, and what you want is normally going to be selfish. Now, okay, so you came to church on the Sunday evening, and you heard you're supposed to have an unselfish heart. So God comes to you in the morning and asks you for something. You know what? You'll maybe ask for something that's not selfish, but you know what? The truth and the reality is your heart can be so selfish anyway. And you can't fool God. Right? The lesson to learn from this thing is not, okay, God asks you what you want. Ask him for something that's not selfish, and he'll probably give you what you want, what you really want anyway. <laughs> can't fool God. You can't, you can't, you can't, there's no way to pull the wool over God's eyes. Now, we sometimes think we can. Because we can fool people sometimes. You can't fool God. No, you know, it's got to be a heart that's dealt with. Now, <clears throat> you know what? You can't really deal with your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all else. Who can know it? And God says, I try the reins. I deal with hearts. You know what? If you would come to God and say, God, take away my selfish heart. I want to take away my selfish heart and replace it with heart of love for you and love for others. Remove from me, Lord, my desire to make the world work for me and put in my heart a desire to make it work for you and for others, Lord. Lord, change me. Make me different. You know what? God would come to the party on that one. God's interested there. God would come to the, God would want to deal with that. God would want to change you. God would want to, to work in your heart. <clears throat> God would want, would, would want to deal with you and to, to, to give you a heart like that. Now, God's dealing with you might not be what you like. So don't think, you know, okay, if God changes my heart, then I can get lots of money. I know you're not thinking that, but you know what? It entered your mind, didn't it? <clears throat> Listen. No, that's not. You let God change your heart and make your heart the way he wants it to be and let him do it his way. And what you're going to find is that when you delight yourself in the Lord, that he gives you the desires of your heart. But the desires of your heart that he gives you may not be the desires of your heart right now. He's going to change your heart, remember. And he's going to give you the desires of your heart. But do you understand this? That if you have the desires of your heart, you're happy. The things you want right now might not make you happy, but you know what? If you let him change your heart, he will make you happy. Right? So listen, this is a brilliant start for Solomon. This is a brilliant start. I mean, he scored big. He hit the big time. He aced it. Uh, you know, he got 100% on the quiz, 150% on the quiz. Uh, he, he got it all together. He really made it happen. What happened? How come it all came undone and it all came unglued for him? You know, if we were to read the next chapters, we would find God's blessing on him, and he builds a temple for God, and he builds a temple in such detail, with so much expense, 
and with such a heart and a passion. And if you want to hear a heart displayed in prayer, go to, 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 to 1 Kings 8 and 9 and see Solomon's prayer. And you look at it and you say, this man is right in the right place. How could he fail? How could he blow it? How could he miss it? But look with me at the second time that God speaks to him. 1 Kings chapter 9. First Kings chapter 9. <clears throat> We'll read from the beginning here, right? And it came to pass, when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and, uh, and the king's house and, uh, and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him, uh, unto him in, in Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But, and here's a warning now, a warning tone comes into it. But if ye shall not all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel, Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people." And all this house which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and have served them. Wherefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil? Okay, <clears throat> now let's think for a few moments here about this. This is a pretty strong warning for Solomon. You know, yeah, uh, Solomon, you, you, as you look at him in chapter 8 and his prayer, he's at the high point of where he is spiritually. But somehow, even at this high point, God gives him a warning. Now, the warning would be reasonable, and we would say, yeah, well, that's just a general warning to him, except what God told him not to do is exactly what he did do. So God saw something. God saw something in this man. God saw something that was going on in his heart that was pointing him in the wrong direction, a direction he was ultimately going to go, and it was going to produce disaster in his life. Right? Now, <clears throat> I want you to catch what God is warning him about. Right? God is telling you know, that he's to keep the statutes and keep the judgments. Um, <clears throat> but he tells him in verse 6, But if ye shall at all turn from following me, Ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Now, that's unthinkable, isn't it? Solomon, Solomon, who's had God speak to him twice now, worship 
something that's not God? Worship something that's an idol? That's a nothing? That's ridiculous. Who would ever have thought? Who would ever have thought that the wisest man in all the world would do that? And yet that's exactly what he did do. I'm sure when God said that to Solomon, Solomon said, got you, Lord, but you know what? There's no problem. Never going to happen. Now, I hope my kids don't do it, but I never will. I know you too well, Lord. There's no way that I would do this. And you may be sitting here tonight, and you may be saying to yourself, well, you know what? I would never turn away from the living God to idols. I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't. There's nothing out there that could satisfy me. The living God is the only living God, and there's no way I would do it. And yet you could. Yet you could. You know, you might not worship a statue the way Solomon did. But you could worship things of the earth. You could worship the creature more than the creator. You could come to the place where you're looking for uh, people to applaud you and you're looking for people to honor you and not the God of heaven. You could do it. I could do it. Oh, if anything, the, the, the story of Solomon tells us it's this. It could happen. It could happen to you and I. It could happen to us so easily. And God gives them a warning. And it's a strong warning. It's a stern warning. It's not the overflowing delight of his first conversation with God. Now, let me ask a question. When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time God spoke to you? Now, hey, listen, it may, listen, God doesn't speak to you normally in a voice from heaven. He can do whatever he likes, but that's norm, not normally what he does. When was the last time that God spoke to you? When was the last time God communicated to you? When was the last time God told you what he wanted you to do? Now, if we believe the living God indwells us, then you know what? We ought to have that happening regularly. Now, let me ask you another question. What was the tone of it? See, the tone of the first conversation Solomon has with God is delight. I'm delighted in you, Solomon, and your request. Listen, I'm just going to pour out a blessing on you that you won't be able to hold. The tone of the second one is warning. Now, you know what? Any one of us would like the first conversation, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's good. I, I, I want that conversation. You know, <clears throat> the tone of the second conversation is warning, and Solomon needed to say, okay, well, what's going on here, God? What's going on? There's, there's something, something going on here. Now, we have the capacity to miss when God is warning us. Remember Peter? Peter said, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, before the cock grows, you're going to deny me thrice. Peter said, no way, not a chance. Isn't that often what happens in our lives? God issues warning and we say, no way. I am too straight to do that. I am too set up to do that. There's no way I would do that. But you know what? Solomon wasn't and neither are you. And when God speaks to you in warning, you need to heed. Don't gloss over it. Don't put it in the background. Don't blame somebody else for it. When God speaks to you in warning, you need to open up and say, now, Lord, is there something I need to see here? Because there's danger involved. 
Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, was in grave danger. And God is telling him, but he doesn't know it. And he doesn't pick up on it. And what we see then is we see his life rapidly going downhill. Turn to chapter 11. Verse 1 of chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, and the Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord had said uh, unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, that you not marry them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Now what happened here? Solomon contracted marriages. Now <clears throat> Solomon has a thousand women in his life, a thousand wives and concubines uh, in his life. And Solomon like the kings of his day, contracted marriages based upon how politically helpful they were. Right? <clears throat> so, you know, we'll, we'll say, uh, you're, you're, the, you're the king of England, right? <clears throat> and you want to keep the people of Ireland happy and on your side. Well, there's no better way than for you to get your daughter to marry uh, one of the sons uh, of the king of Ireland. And then it's all family. And that's what they did. So they spread their net of control through marriages. They've got a thousand wives, you've got a lot of children, you know what I mean? So you've got, a, you've got a lot of marriages you can make. But Solomon is doing this. He's creating all these political alliances. He's been very worldly wise and very clever in the way he's doing it. And I'm sure he's saying to himself, there's no way they're going to make me worship their idols. There's no chance. I'm not up for that stuff. I mean, that's rubbish. You know, <clears throat> um, I can handle this. And he thought that he actually knew better than the Word of God. Did you ever think he knew better than the Word of God? Did you ever think, you know, what you could afford to say, say well, you know, I don't need to obey that one. I, I mean, I, I understand it's there, uh, but I'm okay. I can, I can manage not obeying that. <clears throat> my circumstances and in my position, I, I, I think it'll be okay. You know, that's surefire disaster in your life. doesn't matter how wise or how clever or how disciplined or how great you are. It is surefire disaster in your life when you say, I don't need to obey the word of God in that area. That's what Solomon does. He was aware of the scripture. He knew the commands as far as marriages were concerned. And yet he said, I'll be okay. And isn't that what we always tell ourselves? Yeah, I know that's what the Bible says. I know, but look, uh, trust me, I'll be okay. No, you won't. The moment you veer away from the truth of Scripture, you are embarking on a pathway that ultimately ends in destruction. Understand that. And listen, you can justify it until the cows come home. You can get yourself ten people that agree with you. But the moment you depart from the truth of Scripture, you're embarking on a pathway that's going to destroy you. Now, God warned Solomon. And here we find Solomon doing exactly what God told him not to do. What do you think was going to happen? 
What did he think was going to What do you think is going to happen when you go your own way and do your own thing apart from God? Do you think God's going to bless it? He loves you way too much to bless it. doesn't stop loving you, but he won't bless it. You see, what happens when you decide you know better than Scripture is you put yourself in the place where God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. I've got to obey the Scripture. It's health to me. It's blessing to me. It's life to me. And when I don't, I'm going to be in trouble. It doesn't matter if I'm the wisest man in all the world. That doesn't matter. If I don't obey, if I don't do what God tells me to do, I am embarking on a pathway that's going to lead to destruction. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's for sure. You know, we like the promises that kind of give us what we want, don't we? You know, don't we? We like those promises. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added on your great promise. Thank you, Lord. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. We don't like that one as much, do we? But it's just as true. You can't have the good promises and have the tough promises. Uh, you know, have the good promises and not have the tough promises. They're all promises. And Solomon, in his great wisdom, has decided it's okay for him. Look at verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wife turned away his heart uh, after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build the high places for Chemosh, uh, and the abomination of Moab and the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Molech and the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. God doesn't just say, oh well. The Lord was angry. So you've got three conversations going on between Solomon and, and God that we know of. Right? The first one, God is delighted and pours out the blessing on Solomon's life that is going to be his whole life. The second time, God is warning Solomon. Solomon, don't do this. And the third time, God is angry. God is upset now with Solomon. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love him, but God's upset with him. Look what God says to him. And the Lord is angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which, he had appeared unto, which had appeared unto him twice. Solomon, I've blessed you. By the way, God doesn't say, you know, Solomon, I gave you all this money. No, I appeared unto you, Solomon. You know me. I know you. I've spoken with you, Solomon. Why'd you do this? Why did you do this? Why'd you go your own way and do your own thing? Why did you do it? You know what? Does God have a right to do that in our lives? Yeah, he does. Why did you do this? 
Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all of the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And the Lord stirred up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. Uh, he was of the king's seed of Edom, and it came to pass, it goes on there. But God pronounces judgment on Solomon. Now there's blessing left, but the blessing has nothing to do with Solomon. The blessing has to do with David. God is going to keep part of the kingdom because of David. Solomon, in six chapters of Scripture, has run from the place where God is delighted in him to the place where God is casting him off, casting him off the throne and casting his... His life is going to be nothing. If you, if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity is the, is the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon looks at his life and it's all empty, fruitless, nothing. Because of this. Now, <clears throat> what do we do with this? How do we apply this in our lives? How, how do we actually work this out in our lives? See, in the beginning of Solomon's life, Solomon was tender, and he was humble, and he was afraid. I can't do this. I'm not able. Lord, give me an understanding heart. But as time went by, Solomon came to the place where he became hard and proud. And can't we do that? Can't we do that? Listen, you come into the kingdom and you know what? Your heart is just a glow. Why would he love me so? Why would he save me? And yet you can come to the place where, you know what? You've been around for a while. And you know a thing or two about a thing or two. And you're the one that's in charge. And you can miss the fact that your heart is hardening towards God. The fact that you're kind of looking at the Word of God and you're kind of skirting the edges of the Word of God and you're doing your own thing. You're not obeying. You're not doing what God... And there are areas in your life where you're, well, I know I'm not doing what I should be doing there, but you know what? There's reasons why I'm not doing what I should be doing there. And I, I, I don't know what Solomon's thinking was. But there were reasons why he was marrying women he shouldn't have been married. And we think, well, I can handle it. I can still do right and handle it. And we can't. And our hearts get taken away. And we end up not walking with God, not loving Him and not serving Him as we once did. Listen, if you've started well, that's great. But Solomon started well. He didn't finish well. And that's what we remember about him. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is a tragic book. Because I think here you have the richest, wisest man that ever lived on the planet. And I think you have him recognizing, you know what? I'm going to be judged for the life I've lived. And when it's all burned up, there'll be nothing left. 
I think Solomon's in heaven. I think he was a child of God. I think uh, he was one of God's own. But I don't think you're going to find Solomon in a high place in heaven. Don't think, don't, don't think you're going to find him on the throne. I don't think you're going to find Solomon as much in heaven. I think Solomon blew it. How sad, how awful. I don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. Let me give you a couple of points to take home with you from this, right? <clears throat> First point is very simple. Listen. Do what God tells you to do. Always. You don't know better. You will never know better, and nor does anybody else. Do what God tells you to do. Uh, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives wisdom, and his wisdom is ba- basically this, right? Fear God and keep his commandments. What he's saying is, I wish I had. Fear God and keep his commandments. All your life, fear God and keep his commandments. Take this thing seriously. This book is serious stuff. Take it seriously. Obey it. Follow it. I'll tell you a couple of things that are, <clears throat> that are lesser points in this, and yet they come into it too, right? Uh, <clears throat> secondly, listen, be careful who you listen to. Men, you need to be men of the Word of God and follow the Word of God, and you need to lead your families in the Word of God. You need to be that man. That's not easy. It's not always fun. It's not always going to make you the most popular person in the house. But you need to be man of God and you need to lead your family in the things of God. Because that's what God has given you to do and that's what God has blessed you to do. You know, the picture we get of Solomon at the end of his life is he's not leading anymore. He's got wives that are leading him. Now, to be fair to the guy, having a thousand women asking him for different things and pressing him in different directions, that would be enough to bend anybody's mind. To be be fair to the guy, I mean, he chose for himself a hard road, didn't he? But let me say this to you ladies. I realize that when it comes down to it, you often think you know better. And sometimes you actually do. But you know, God didn't call you to lead your home. He just didn't. And when you want to lead your home, it's not going to be God's way. You say, but my husband, listen, I know husbands are frail and they have problems and they have issues. You pray for them. You pray for God uh, to lead and guide because that's the only way there is. God wants your husband to lead your home. If you start leading it, you're very likely to lead it in the wrong direction. Not intentionally. That's not your heart and not your intention, but you know what? God's plan is for husbands to lead the home. And it's important. You know how often you find in Scripture um, that, that men are led by their wives to destruction? Ahab, Jezebel, his wife, you know, Ahab did more evil than all the kings of Israel. And it was Jezebel, his wife, that let him... Listen, I know, I'm not saying any of you ladies are Jezebels, right? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that for a moment. 
What I am saying is be careful. Your husband needs to lead and you need to let him lead. And you need to pray for him. You need to pray that God will actually let him do it. So as we close, let me ask you three questions. First of all, are you grateful tonight? Are you counting your blessings? Solomon had blessings in his life. Somehow, he forgot where they came from, didn't he? You know, I think what God says to David in the issue with Bathsheba, when when God confronts David, I think it's so clear. God's heart is so clear. He doesn't say to David, David, how could you commit adultery? That was just so wicked. How could you do that? He doesn't say to David, how could you murder her husband, David? That was so wicked. He says to David, David, I gave you so much. If you'd wanted more, I could have given it to you. Why don't you go and make it happen for yourself, Dave? And you know what? We do that one all the time. And we think nothing of it. We go and make things happen in our lives that are not God's plan. That are not what God wants. You know what? Counter that by being grateful, by counting your blessings, by thanking God for what you do have. Second question is this. Are you allowing disobedience and rebellion to creep in? Yeah, you know what? You're the only one that's going to know that. Because the Holy Spirit deals with us individually, doesn't he? And you're the only one that's going to know and the Holy Spirit is saying, I don't want you doing this. I have absolute confidence in the Holy Spirit as a communicator. I do not have confidence in my ability to hear, but I have confidence in his ability to communicate, and he does communicate. And when he's communicating, you need to say, yes, Lord. But if you're letting disobedience and rebellion creep in, you know what? You're started on a pathway. And the pathway will always lead to destruction. One last question. Do you respond to God's warning? When God warns you, do you respond to it? God warns you through the preaching of the word. God warns you uh, in the reading of his word. God warns you uh, in your life. When God warns you, do you respond? Do you say, yes, Lord? Or do you shrug it off? Do you shrug it off and you say, nah, I I can handle this? Because I think Solomon did a lot of shrugging off. I think Solomon heard a lot of things from God that he, that he shrugged up. I think God gave him a clear warning. And I think Solomon shrugged it off. Do you shrug it off? You know what? That's so dangerous to you. That is so dangerous to you. You see, here's the thing. You're here on a Sunday night, you know, and I realize you know, we're all in varying places, varying degrees, uh, you know, varying stages in our Christian walk. But, but you're here tonight, and you're here because somewhere, somehow, you want to obey God. You want God's blessing on your life. You, know, you want God to bless your life. You, you, you're here tonight because there's something in you that says, that's what I want. I want God's blessing on my life. I want God to uh, help me in my life. Do you know that one of the ways God's going to bless you is he's going to rebuke you and say, I am warning you, don't do this. It will be bad for you. And if you shrug it off, you're walking into danger. Don't do it. When God speaks, you say, yes, Lord. You see, 
Three kings. We have <clears throat> Saul, we have David, and we have Solomon. You know, if you ask who did the greater sin, well, David committed adultery and murdered a man. The other guys were did daft things, but they looked like daft things to me. But you know what? When God spoke to David, David said, yes, sir. I am going to do what you told me to do. Saul didn't. Saul justified. And Solomon didn't. Saul, Solomon justified. And if you justified, you're going to be like them. When God speaks, when God warns, take it on board and change. Let's stand for prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for these people and our blessed spirit of the living God. Would you let the message find its mark in the hearts where it needs to find its mark? Blessed spirit, would you draw us close to you and where you've spoken, would you have us acknowledge it and make the changes? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If God has spoken to you tonight, I'm not asking you what he said. That's between you and him. But if God has spoken to you tonight and you would say, yes, Lord, you have spoken and I am heeding, I am going to do it, would you lift your hand? Amen. 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 See those hands. Are there others? God has spoken, and I am saying, yes, I am heeding it. The raising of a hand just signifies that's my intention, that's my heart. Anybody else? Now, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing. Thank you, Lord, for the story of Solomon and how it speaks to our hearts. Lord, would you help us? Lord, I do pray for me and for my life. Lord, uh, may it not end in disaster, but, Lord, may it end in glory, and may it end with a well-done, thou good and faithful servant. And, Lord, for these sheep that you've brought tonight, oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, Lord, it would be a miracle if everyone here would, would walk uh, through those gates and come to that place where you say to them, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But, oh, Lord, would you grant it? Would you work in each heart here? Would you show your hand? Would you show your power? Would you demonstrate in each life, Lord, that the wisest and the best thing that they could do is yield themselves to you and yield their lives to you and serve you with all their hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. Now, Lord, would you bless in Jesus' name. Amen.